0: Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to, and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Operations Manager Tony O'Day from the Country Fire Authority. Tony is Head of CFA's Emergency Medical Response and Wellbeing Program. In this episode, we discuss the benefits of emergency medical response, the mental challenges associated with attending medical emergencies, and the programs CFA has in place to manage the health and well-being of its people. Tony O'Day, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Thanks, Stuart. Tony, can I ask where did your firefighting career begin?
1: Probably like a lot of CFA members, I was a volunteer. I grew up in a really small country town up in the, up in the wheat belt of the of the Victoria. So firefighting wasn't a uh, wasn't forefront. It was just one of the things that you did. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think our brigade went to maybe four or five calls a year. Um, and just coincidentally, as I finished my university, um, there was an advertisement for firefighters or um, joined the CFA, I think it said, and um, threw in an application and um, I joined uh, 25 years ago in September. So uh, it's coming up. So I did a recruit course and started at Dandenong Fire Station, which uh, at that time was the number one, you know, in terms of business in CFA. And it, it, looking back, it was probably the best thing that happened to me because it, it put me on the path of busy station, got me in the mixing with motivated people and um, plenty of different gear to learn my trade. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. It's, it's been fantastic.
0: Good. We share something in common there because Danny Young was my first station <laughs> there you as go. well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Good people. Absolutely <laughs> good people.
0: Can I ask, where is your emergency management career taking you then?
1: Uh, yeah, I've been pretty lucky, um, I reckon, and I've been probably through a combination of um taking opportunities when they come, like most people do, and then like a bit of uh, fortuitous <laughs> in the right place at the right time. Um, I I was on fire station for uh oh, nearly ten years, a bit over ten years in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, I've been fortunate. I I, I managed to do an international exchange, which uh, fire exchange, which we at the point through the '90s. We'd done one before that I knew of, and that was um, we'd sent two people over to Canada, I think, on an exchange. Um, and I thought that's a good thing to do. But we, as an agency, we weren't we weren't doing it, and we weren't doing it actively. So uh, I, uh, but AFAC, which is our, were coordinating agencies around Australia and New Zealand to to do these firefighters. Fire so they had some partnerships with Canada and the UK and the like. So I did all the groundwork and. I got knocked back. No one one wanted to do it. No one was interested. Oh, It all sounded too hard. Um, And I was just sort of, I I was getting nowhere. And then just out of of the blue, the chief and deputy chief at the time were both on annual leave. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, there were two people that came in acting in the roles. And (laughs) I don't know if I was a bit cheeky or whatever happened. I thought, I'll I'll have another crack because uh, this, this, this might work out. And so, I threw it in and- Mike Wasting was the deputy chief right. at, the, at the time, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so I knew Mike pretty well. And uh, I had Graham Fountain as my uh, ops manager, uh, who were both supportive. And uh threw it under Mike's, I said, uh, What do you reckon? And he said, You know what, I can't see why we wouldn't do it. He said, Good. So, <laughs> so he, he signed it off, and uh, another guy, Darren Engies, uh, was also seeking to do one at the time. And uh, so we got the green light. So I had this. Real small window and I said, right, we're going to do it. So I uh, went back to AFAC and I've got the signature and the bit of paper and said, we we'll, are we'll all go. Um, and fortuitously picked a great um, um, firefighter to exchange with and, uh, in a place called uh, Leicester in Leicestershire County, right in the Midlands of the UK, and uh, spent the next 12, 13 months in the UK. And, Fantastic. And it was great because it broadened my emergency management horizon, if you like, because it started, I started to look at obviously how things were done on the other side of the country and uh, the world, and I thought... Gee, there's some opportunities for CFA here that we're missing. You know, they do. They had really good partnerships with police. They had good partnerships with ambulance, and we we had good partnerships in sections sectors, I reckon. But it didn't really filter through the whole organisation. So that sowed the seed for me, sure. I think. And then when I came back, I then joined the field ranks and became an ops officer, and uh, really focused for the next few years on trying to promote this emergency management. Mantra, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, but the, the benefits of multi agency approach to emergency management it, it was to me just, it was a no brainer. Yeah. And then in two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, actually, uh, I was a, I was able to um, land a position where we used to do a secondment positions with Victoria Police and uh, in their counter-terrorism coordination unit. So I went into there for twelve months and. It, Again, talk about luck, it, it, next door, well, in the same department almost, right next to the department was the Victoria Police Emergency Management Cohort. Um, so, so, I was thrust into this, this role of, uh, yeah, there was work to do in the CT space and I, I really enjoyed that. But it also opened some doors to some broader emergency management space, you know. So, I had these um, great police leaders that were passionate and uh, wanted to see us do better in this space and uh, so I tagged along with them and we were out and about and mixing it with a whole of the multi Agencies, and then landed in an emergency management role finally so this was 2012 by this stage so it took, took me 10 years to get there Stu in the actual formal title of emergency management but but the, you know the, the role was still fantastic Mouldy agency common doctrine it was post black saturday so there was a lot more license to do things and a lot more support and uh I just, I've just, the change that's happened since has been fantastic. You know, the the way we're now more on this one page, the creation of EMV, it's been a real game changer, hasn't it? That's just turned yeah. it on its head, and uh, and it's been really beneficial if you've got a mindset to say, you know, what there's life beyond just your own agency, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and I think most people have that now, but it took a while, you know, to, to start to think that way. Yeah. Um, so, and and there was some challenges, not just at our own agencies, challenges
0: with other agencies, and arguably still is. Your role now at CFA is the Emergency Medical Response and Wellbeing Program Manager. Can Mm -hmm. you describe what Emergency Medical Response is to the listeners?
1: Yeah, and it's, look, um, in Australia, this is relatively new, albeit except for people who are associated with MFB and in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Emergency Medical Response uh, is response to medical emergencies where there's a... um, the most critical of calls, if you like. So loss of consciousness, not breathing, cardiac arrest, those sort of time-critical events. When you dial 000, the emergency number, and request an ambulance, simultaneously uh, a fire truck will also be responded with uh, a trained crew that carry defibrillators, that can do airways, can do uh, a little bit advanced medical support with the, with the the goal of maintaining life until... An ambulance arrives. So, an ambulance is always going to be responded. We'll always come to the to the call. Uh, We don't transport patients or anything, but it's about maintaining life. So, if you think of that chain of survival, um, they talk about that the ten minute window that you've got to to get intervention on an unconscious person. Most of our calls, we'll get there within eight minutes. You know, although we do set a ten minute response um, to get that intervention. So, it's incredibly challenging on our people at times, I reckon, but it's also can be incredibly rewarding. Unfortunately, because you're going there to such high-end, people who are really sick um, cases, you don't always get a a positive result. Mm. I mean, you may not get a physically positive, positive result, but the positive result you may get is that the families and the loved ones that are there know that at least- someone, um, you know, had the, gave him the best
0: chance. Yeah. You know, I so. think that's what I've noticed in the field, doing yeah. emergency medical response. And I, yeah. I recall one call I went to, I think we would have been, from the time we got the page to the time we were at the patient was under two minutes. Yeah. And it was like, almost the family said, where did you guys come from? Yeah. I can't believe how quickly the emergency services got here to outdoor. Wow, yeah. You know, four people on scene, first aid kit, defibrillator, mm. Airway management—it was all there. Yeah, and look—in this case, it was a positive result. And Fantastic. but again, the, the, I, I just remember the look on the on the uh, on the family saying, "Where did you guys come from?" Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: that's it's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? You know, mm. and then. Um, after
0: they probably got over the initial shock of uh, what's a fire
1: truck doing here? I called an ambulance. Sometimes that happens
0: too. That does happen sometimes, <laughs> and yeah, I think that is something we still probably need to advertise. Yeah, uh, or the CFA needs to advertise better. Yeah, you know, that that fires do turn up, and it yeah. does. There is still that element of shock out there. I think. Yeah, we're yeah. aware of it. So, so mm. this
1: court, this program started back in two thousand and eight. In fact. it, it It goes back even further. I I can remember my days um, at Dandenong when um, the crews at Springvale were were dabbling in emergency medical response around 2001, um, uh, thereabouts, 2000 maybe. Um, But it didn't sort of really kick into gear until 2008, where we ran a um, CFA, ran a pilot. Initially, five volunteer brigades. And I just happened to be out of District 14 at the time. So that sort of, I got involved um, with uh, Whittlesey and South Orang at the time. And then in 2010 we expanded it to an additional five integrated brigades or staff based um, stations. And uh, uh, in 2015 um, we? Um, we finally landed some after our 12 month trial got into its fifth year <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> of the ten brigades, the ten stations. We uh, we 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 got some uh, secured some funding from government government. Um, gave us some money to roll out the uh, program to all of our integrated stations um, in addition to what we were doing. Um, So uh, another 35 locations. And in fact, it'll end up, so it's a three-year project, it'll end up being about 37 with a couple of new stations have come on board with Lucas and uh, Lara, I think, um, are one and there might be one other in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we embarked on a program um, to to train all all our career staff. So... Three years, um, we align the training with our MFB counterparts, mm-hmm. so that interoperability stage, um, which which is brilliant, and, uh, and we, we are still rolling out <laughs> the, the training. We, we've partnered with – so Monash University are the, are the base course providers and Ambulance Victoria do the delivery yep. for us, with the exception of our recruits where we use um, – uh, Monash to do the the training out there. When they're joint recruit courses these days, so um, makes sense that we're all doing the doing the same. Um, so there's initial training of eight days or two weeks so over a two week period, and then th- throughout each year there are four clinical education sessions or CE sessions just to maintain skills. Uh, pick a topic to to refresh on, maybe introduce some new ideas or new um, information that's required for for our responders. And, and it's also – they're good sessions just to, for the guys to check back in with mm. um, with some educators and, and just fire some questions at them. Um, so that, that's the training and that's the base of it. But the peripheral and the support that needs to go in <laughs> around that program is uh, where the wheel work is, I reckon, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and opportunities too, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that,
0: so, so what are some of the positive outcomes that you heard about with, mm. with respect to emergency medical response?
1: We've had some great responses. So we've we've uh, we've had a lot of infants have been saved. Um, SIDS is a is a pretty scourge out there. Mm. Um, it affects a, quite a lot of people. We've had uh, well, I guess we've we had a number of saves, and then I reckon we've had a number of saves that we don't know about. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's difficult in a space. The guys work on an individual. They get put in the ambulance, taken off to the hospital, and, and often it's it's difficult to follow up what the outcome is, and sometimes it's a bit hard to measure. Yeah. To you know, do we measure a save for someone who walks out of the hospital, or is it someone who at least gets back to life? And but they don't necessarily have quality of life. You know, it's yes. um you know um so we we tend to focus on if we get them to a stage that they can be put in the back of the ambulance and go to a hospital. That's a, that's a save, and. We've had a number of them, you know, and, and um, we like to celebrate them when we can, uh, um, but we don't get pushy. It's, it's a delicate area, so you want to make sure that uh, you've got family on board and even the crews on board. But, yeah, I, I, there, are, there are a number of individual um, success stories, you know, um, and good news stories. And, and I can give you examples of crews just being on duty and then out of the blue uh, a family walks in and uh, they'll say, hey, this is uh, Bill and you saved him three months ago and yeah. look at him now you know he's coming and he wants to thank you wow and that's so powerful and it yeah. then just reinvigorates people to say you know what this what we're doing is making a difference and it's a real difference not just the one life but the ripple effect it's making a difference to a lot of lives to the people in that circle so to me it's just worthwhile we just push on and, and get better and, and keep doing it because it's fantastic yeah.
0: well, I think another positive outcome of emergency medical response and, and, and co-responding with the ambulance is ambulance will, by and large, first response be the the two paramedics Mm. with four firefighters. Nine times out of ten, I'm Mm. noticing, we'll have to move the patient. Yes. So so to have four firefighters, two ambulance officers there Mm. who can move the patient to a location where you can actually perform CPR, uh, manage airways, create a safe space to work is absolutely Mm. invaluable and it's something I don't think the ambulance officers could safely achieve under every circumstance themselves. So I think that's been a a really ah, positive thing for hmm. for us to for, – sorry, for a fire agency to support the ambulance has been a great thing.
1: No, you're spot on, sir. Look, it's and it's um, – yeah, the byproducts of the program have been fantastic. You know, I'll give you another example. I work in um, – I mentioned earlier I did some work in the CT, the counterterrorism space, and I still dabble in that. And um, we're looking at some initiatives going forward for mass casualty events and, um, you know, uh, sort, sort of big events where – resources are really stretched and one of the initiatives we're looking at is this concept of uh, rescue teams going in so multi-agency rescue team to a you know let's pick a building like a big shopping center for instance a large shopping center multiple casualties we've got a team of uh, that's not a fully secure environment so you need police involved yeah. but you also need the medics so you need they ambulance involved but you need a bit of lifting and grunt work with some medical knowledge as well that's yeah. where the firefighters come into play mm-hmm. um just working on that concept the relationship we've already got with Ambulance Victoria, for instance, um, as well as police and fire, it's been fantastic to be able to pull that concept together and get support and go, yeah, no, yeah, this could work. You know, and this, here's some ideas and here's what we can train and here's what we can do. I'm not sure I could have had the same conversation five, ten years ago mm-hmm. and get the same result. You know, people would have defaulted back to, well, this is our role. Our role is to get medical people and fire. We say, well, our role is just to put out fires and yep. shore up buildings. That's about what we'll do. And never the twain sort of meet. I think now that mindset of uh, um, if you've got something to offer, offer it and let's, let's work together, it's really changing and um, yeah, it's great. And EMR is just a, a great example of, you know, really being able to, you know, build on that mindset too. Yeah, it's good.
0: One thing I guess as an organisation that CFA is focused on is managing the health and well-being. Of the emergency responders. So, what are some of the initiatives CFA's put in place to help manage people's health and well-being? Look,
1: it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I've fought, probably fallen into this space, the wellbeing space too. Mm. To be honest, um, obviously I've, I've been involved in the EMR program now for a number of years, and particularly over the last few years, one of the things that we noticed uh, that the EMR program has done is it's accelerated the people's mental health and well-being. State, if you like, or where this where, the, so where once they might have been able to cope reasonably well with whatever life's throwing at them, mm. all of a sudden, um, you know, they talk about the bucket. Where we're putting yes. more stuff into the bucket at a more frequent rate. That uh, we noticed that people were uh, struggling is probably not too strong a word, but in mm. some cases they were to varying degrees. It might have just been a, a short term. Hey, I'm really I'm not feeling too good about this. Mm to some mid-term to some real long-term problems. And it, particularly if you analyse the data over the last two years particularly, and keeping in mind we've had some EMR brigades now for 10 years coming up and certainly eight eight years, we've noticed there's a bigger demand on people wanting support and help. And the flip side of that is what we've noticed what we noticed and what I know, some my EMR role was... I'm not sure that our support service were geared up for the the magnitude that EMR has presented to us. So, what did we do about it? We 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 um, decided well, we needed to build where we know we've got some gaps. We need to build some some extra support. uh, one of the byproducts of the conversations that we had um, in the previous CEO, um, we were talking to her about some of the challenges we were seeing and some of the problems um, we had and and probably a little bit of a disconnect, not through anyone's fault, but there probably was between our uh, wellbeing services and our um, EMR program. She made the decision uh, in conjunction with us and the chief to move the wellbeing team out of people and culture, the traditional Mm -hmm. HR department, and put it into operations, into fire and emergency management. And to make it frontline, make it part of service delivery. Make the mindset of people saying, "Well, if we, you know, we're worrying about getting a fire truck out the door to the through the fire, at the same time, we need to be thinking about and worrying about our people that are responding mm-hmm. to that." So, changing the mindset, real exciting stuff. We were we were just like uh, so happy when the when the penny sort of all collectively dropped to say, "This is what we need to do." And. I never thought it would happen, but it actually did. <laughs> yes, right. So, all of a sudden, they then threw uh, well-being down with EMR. So when I talk about when I accidentally fell into it,
0: That's exactly <laughs> suddenly it someone,
1: uh, we have to now have a, a, a new department almost um, for a creator. So we, we create an EMR wellbeing department, and I've got the EMR and wellbeing team under us. And there's some synergies, and there's real reasons why they are sitting together. But we're not losing focus that well there for the whole of the organisation. Mm-hmm. But um, we are focusing on some gaps in that EMR program. So, so some of the things that we've done. I mean, we, CFA has actually been pretty good in terms of what services were on offer traditionally. You know, we, we, um, certainly in Australia, we we're one of the first, if not the first, to have a, a peer program, and that goes back to 1987, I think, uh, that began, and it was cutting edge at the time. This concept of people wanting to talk to people who can walk in their shoes, you know, the, the peers. And the peers aren't fixers. They're there just to have a chat to and point people who may or may not need assistance, to point them in the direction of where they need to go. So the peer program was was up and running. However, it wasn't necessarily hitting the spot for all our members. So we, we developed, we've just developed a, a career peer program that we want to extend into the, our administrative staff and, and to our volunteers as well. And that's somewhere between the really high end roll gold uh, peer program and at the bottom where no one's trained in this type of mental health field with this is sort of filling that gap in the middle that initial chat high volume the training's not as onerous so you can you can train someone in six days and at least they can recognize some signs have a chat to someone put point them in the right direction so the, so the peer program is really invaluable to us. Um, we have a chaplaincy program that's uh, a non-denominational sort of uh, spiritual support for people um, if, if that's what they like. I often talk to you about, I reckon well being it's like a smorgasbord, you know, mm. you lay out all the all the different dishes on the table and people will come up and take what they want because they, not one dish fits all and you got to realise it. So I don't care if I have six different iterations of a peer program or a chaplaincy mm. <laughs> support as long as it meets the needs of... Someone, and, or you can come to the table and you can find what you want. Um, so, so we have the chaplaincy program. We have the member assist program, which is like an employee assist program. It's exactly the same, but because we incorporate our volunteers, we call that member assist program. It's, uh, it's for that higher end support, so twenty four seven clinical psychologists you can speak to on the other other end of the phone, just dial one number. And then you know you can you can follow up with some face to face sessions with a clinical psychologist. And um, we've just made a change from uh, we see if I used to pay for three Psychology sessions—we've made a change. We've made, it, we've made it six, with an option of an additional three. So you can actually get nine sessions now with this clinical psychologist. And then beyond that, we'll look to move into a, a, sort of a mainstream sort of health plan because it's generally going to be more longer term.
0: And that—that and uh, that particular program is available not only to members of staff or volunteers, but also to their families or their, yeah. their immediate families.
1: F- absolutely, family, uh, immediate families, and partners, children immediate family and and anything else by, you know, we're open to anything. So yeah. if, if it comes across my desk and I, I don't you – know, all through this, there's is, is a big confidentiality. There's nothing we say. I don't see any names. I don't see conditions or anything like that. All I'll get is a request from a psychologist to say I have someone that needs additional three sessions. This would be beneficial. Do you approve? Uh, I, I'm never going to say no, yeah. <laughs> you know, so – but, I, you know, we engage and we rely on the professional advice as to, to what the next steps are, too. Yeah. Sure, but it is absolutely open to, to friends and family. Yeah. Um, the friends and family, though, the psychological services, we do limit to three sessions, you know, just to give them, get them over that line and then get them some support and put them in the right direction. So a really important part of our program. We've also introduced since uh, in the last 12 months or so to, uh, to, to do mental health checks, which is... Um, you know, in this space, it's about trying to be proactive and and get to people before they fall over, too. So you know it's really important that we that we give them that resilience and that um, the tools in their kit to cope with whether it's an EMR event, whether it's a, a relationship breakdown for some, it might be uh, might be something as simple as they got a bad manager, you know, and it's and it's just causing them enormous you know, mental health issues, if you like, and some distress, and um, so we, we, we've got. Uh, mental health checks, where we go, a psychologist goes out. One of our psychologists will go out and start with a group discussion around the table, coffee chat, if you like, outdoor fire station, for instance. Um, just talk about mental health and well-being and what it means and to them, and what, it, um, and then eventually leading to what support services we might offer. Just general conversation, mm-hmm. and then beyond that purely voluntary base. even the group session is voluntary, no one's forced into any of this, mm. a one-on-one chat with a psychologist to actually track and, and get a bit of a baseline about how you're tracking yourself, you know, and how. then talk about some tools about how you can look after yourself and some signs that if something's going wrong um, or you're not feeling quite right where you can go to, that sort of stuff. So really That, that
0: mental health check and I sat through that, uh, the group session at uh, one of the stations I was on and then did the one-on-one session. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Even if it was just a... You know, can you explain to me what PTSD is to the yeah. psychologist? Yep. And then some of the mechanisms we can all put in place to manage them. I think they you, you filled out a little questionnaire again that was confidential, yep. but it just gave you a little bit of a time to self reflect on how you're how you're mm. going, how you're performing, how you're coping. Yeah, and it was absolutely yeah. fantastic. Everyone walked away with such a positive experience. Fantastic. Mm.
1: I'm pleased to hear it sir, yeah. because it. it and I'll give you another indication. We haven't advertised that we're even doing these mental health checks. Obviously, mm-hmm. we'll talk in this environment from time to time in a presentation, but we don't mm-hmm. put it out there. And our psychologists are running at about a four- to six-week waiting list just yeah. to, to get to, to crews and, and teams to, to talk to. So that's fantastic on the one hand, but yeah. it's and it's, we need to get more resources and get this happening. So we're looking at ways we can start to to, to get to spread this because mm-hmm. even beyond fire stations where there's a whole pool of admin people, for instance, administrative staff, they, they – they're in need of this as well, mm. you know everyone is um yeah in fact, we all are i mean i I do the same thing. I have a chat you know to a supervisory or you know a psychologist from time to time, yep. um not for any other reason just to but just to check in and make sure that i'm I'm going okay, you yep. know, and um we do the same for all our we offer it to all all my team um, get uh a couple two to four um supervisory chats every year, mm. and we uh, more if they want it we're offering it. we're rolling it out to our peers as well, so We've got to look after the people that are looking after our people as yes, well. So, absolutely. And it's breaking down that stigma and it's breaking down um, you know, that it's all okay to sit around and actually have a chat and it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not feeling that good yeah. in my head, you know. <laughs> um it's not the it's not the old broken leg that people talk about. You can see see that someone's got a broken leg, you know. <laughs> we are talking you've got a broken leg, you yeah. had a broken leg, you know. <laughs> people would have looked to you and gone, Yeah, Stu's got a broken leg. Mm. Um but uh, any one of us could be walking around actually having a, a bit of a broken broken head mm. <laughs> for one of another term, and you yep. wouldn't know. No, no that's wrong. No. Right. Um, and more importantly, we've got to have an environment where people are feel safe and and then trusting and um, to be able to talk about it and say, you know, I'm not travelling too well. Or and the flip side is to ask someone, Hey, how are you travelling? Yeah. You going okay? You know, um, so, and I think it's changing. I really do. I really think there's a there's a there's a change coming. You know, uh, and it's happening at a rapid rate. Um, The the stigma is breaking down. So uh, we we have to keep up as an organisation and keep supporting it. So um, the mental health checks are an absolute key to uh, one of our key. uh, Dishes and the smorgasbord yep. <laughs> that we that we that we offer to people, and it's been really well um, received. Um, the, the other things we we do though is just coaching and just talking to people about how to have difficult chats. You know, mm-hmm. particularly if they're leaders or managers, um, because from time to time you need to do that. But that can be a real source of anxiety and and um, you know, pain for people to to do. So try and give them some some tips on on how we do that, Um, we we combine that with a whole heap of different educational programs, you know, to build that resilience um, for people in in our workforce and and our members. And then I guess the the other big focus for us is promotional activities, you know, the Are You Okay Day, we get on board with that, Um, the Walk Off the Wall, which the guys from... um, uh, Mildura yes. uh, 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 drivers that was of
0: the, that was walk off the wall within wasn't it yes, yes. All, all within my apology, yeah.
1: which is yeah. dealing with um, PTSD and mental yeah. health generally um, so that was a great event up at Ballarat that our people got involved with as well and we, we're always looking for opportunities to promote a big thing on my agenda Stu is I, I want to promote this so much more now that it's with us we're going to put it front line we're going to build it into yeah, you know, not just your traditional ways of promoting, but mm. I want to build into debriefing, for instance. Um, we debrief when we come back from jobs, from incidents, and we, we go through what went well, what didn't, what did we learn, lessons learned. What we don't do well is actually check in on how people are travelling mentally, for instance. How's your mental health as a result of that incident? And then do we recheck, check in again down the track? So um, that's where our peer program, and I talk about that middle range peer program, that career peer program is aimed at proactively checking in with our people which at the moment our peer program is great but it's more reactive it's it's when someone contacts you then you'll actually swing into action but this is about saying hey I've seen you went to a pretty ordinary job last night or and reaching out to the crew uh, and say how you going and they might go we're all fine and that's fine and we'll move on but mm, if they're not then we've got things in place to to, to grab their hand and walk them to where they need to be, which is really, really important. So, so that's the sort of stuff that we're doing. We're um, we're also rolling out psychological first aid training to all our staff and uh, a lot of our leaders in volunteer uh, in the volunteers cohort as well. And again, uh, there's also a road to mental um, health readiness program, which is based on a Canadian model that we're doing in conjunction with MFB to roll out. So, there's a lot of initiatives um, that we're uh, and, and we can't ever get complacent. We've got to just keep <laughs> rolling them out and 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 improving and building that that small board. So, yeah, that's that's probably um, some of the areas that we're that we we'll look at in the in the well being space. So, yeah.
0: One of the other pieces of work that's happened recently is some training to help our CFA personnel manage some distressed bystanders at mm. scenes. Can you tell me a little bit about that program? Yeah. Um, so,
1: uh, again, the 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 MR program has exposed some unique. Challenges for us, there's no doubt about it, and and one of the um, challenges that we, based on the feedback that we've got, uh, that we got pretty loud and clear in the last two years, particularly, uh, is about dealing with, um, well, as as the title says, bystanders. You know, bystanders are, it's a bit unique in the EMR world because suddenly you're going into people's houses, you're working on their loved ones who are having the worst, the collectively they're having the worst day of their Mm. lives, most likely they get they're in a distressed state they're agitated that that filters through to the to the crews that are working onto the on the patient uh, it might be that more relatives start coming in mm. uh, you know you, it, it, high emotions and it can be a pretty um, stressful environment for our people so this course is aimed at building in so again that resilience i keep coming back to that word but that's what it's about and and, and giving some tools to our crews to uh, some things they might be able to do to make that environment a, a safer and we're talking when i talk safety i'm talking mental health safety a safe but and physically as well but certainly mental from a mental health point of view make it a safer environment and help the guys just to to work and and, and when they leave the job <laughs> to actually also be in a better space than they might have been and not, and not get too bogged down or distracted or affected by the, the bystander. So, um, that course is run by a combination of our peers and psychologists at the moment. And again, they just go through looking, recognizing signs, things to look out for, some little tips on how to better improve the environment, um, how to speak to people who are in that distressed state, and, and, and then some general other tips in, in that space. But really important that we, that we do that. Uh, I think that's, it's important, not even just in the E.M.R. space. It's good training that we need to roll out to mm-hmm. some of our other particular specialist stuff, like road rescue, for instance. But, but having said that, you know, I think when I talk about E.M.R. and unique um, scenarios, if I put back my firefighting days, you know, you might go to a fire or even a, a road accident where you get awful scenes in cars and things like that. Now, the scene itself is incredibly can be incredibly traumatic. Mm-hmm but you're not surrounded then by the family, generally, as a rule. You know, they're they're there while you're trying to remove the patient out of the car, for instance. It's generally remote from that. So Mm -hmm. it's just that next whole level of stuff that, you know, probably goes hand in hand. The next phase of training we need to look at is how to um, deal with hostile people Mm -hmm. at these events because I think that's a – that's you talk about mental health well-being and just overall well-being, um, that's important. You know, we – we, our eyes are focused on the patients. We don't necessarily, when, you know. Let's face it, not everyone are angels. It's not they're not all angels that we're going right. to in the environment. So, you know, you're looking for that person that's standing there with the scissors behind you, or mm. <laughs> you know, the knife. Yeah. Uh, so, these are these are all it's all new frontier for us, Stu, yeah. and we're, we're um, doing our best to try and get out of the game. It is. Yeah. It's
0: interesting when you're yeah. when you're out there. Treating a patient, you see the range of emotions that people are feeling. Now, some people are in shock and they're not going to say anything at all. No. Some some people are panicked, yeah. and, and some right. people are angry. Yeah. And, and the person managing the scene has to try and manage all those emotions. And as you say, as well as take care of the safety at the scene. And I've often been thinking that if we went to a if we went to a bushfire, wildfire scenario, we'd be thinking about access and egress. What are our escape routes? Mm. Are we thinking about that when we go to an EMR? Got right on, yeah. Is is the back door open? Is the front door still open? Yeah. That you came through. Yeah. How, how do you make that scene safe? And yeah. These are some of the things I think we also need to think about. Having a lookout, you know, we have yeah. a lookout
1: for uh, fire changing, and we're mm. out in a, in a bushfire sense, but maybe in a in a home, we, the, the third person uh, mm. <laughs> is actually not looking at the patient; is looking out yeah. for the safety of the crews. Yeah. You know, that's that mindset. So, mm. yeah, so that's that's. um a really good initiative, the bystander training. I've been really happy with the feedback that we've got from our crews that that's been really well received and
0: that we need to do more of that style of training. Tony, it's been fascinating talking to, to you today. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell us? Oh, look,
1: I guess the, the thing that I always say um, uh, is look out for yourselves. <laughs> look after yourselves because and, and know that there's plenty of support there. And, yeah, we've we, we've still got some improvement to do. We're doing a review of our services at the moment, so we know this space is only going to get better. I guess the other thing is, say, don't know know that you have the support of everybody in our organisation. If I'm talking to people from our organisation, but I'm sure it replies more broadly as well. Um, from the CEO to the chief to the the, the unions to the, to to the managers, no one's going to judge you, treat you differently. Get the help. Yeah, don't don't try and push through it. That's what I would say to you. And from the EMR perspective, it's only going to get bigger because it's making a difference. And uh, um, as an agency, um, we and our, we need to have our people prepared for it and we need to make sure that we're, we've got good support in place. So, yeah, thanks, Drew.
0: No, Tony, thank you very much for joining me today on the Emergency Management Podcast. Congratulations to you and all your team for everything you've achieved and everything you will achieve in the future. Thanks, thanks. for joining me.
1: Pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed, go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. Please also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. You can also write to us at feedback at Podcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker, and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.